Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really excited and enthused to have on the show today Dr. Joshua Newman. So Dr. Joshua Newman is the Chief Medical Officer at Salesforce. And he's done a lot in health. He focuses a lot in health and he's got a broad perspective on health. But I'm not going to steal his thunder. Welcome to the show, Dr. Newman. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, great, great to great to connect with you here. I'm, I'm really always interested in where things have started and origin stories and the series of events that have led someone to do what they're doing and that have shaped up their passions and their purpose. Maybe you can uh, take teleport us back and tell us a little bit about what went on throughout your life up to date, sort of, <laughs> um, and, and tell us a little bit about your origin story. Well, I appreciate the, the, the question, and I love that you uh, ask these kinds of questions of folks like us. Um, my story goes back to probably just before high school. Um, my dad brought home one of those early examples of a, of a computer that you could put your telephone headset into. So it was like the first version of a, it looked kind of like a laptop, but it was really just a way of, um, it had a built-in modem. It was a keyboard with a modem that essentially let you start to connect with other computers. So rather than being one of those kids who grew up wanting to be a doctor always, I sort of grew up wanting to be a tech geek uh, just because I found it fun to figure it out in the early days of uh, technology and computer technology and computer networks. Um, and then from there, I uh, went through undergrad, um, majored in religion. I was a comparative religion major, so real mm -hmm. liberal arts, real liberal arts and comparative human experience, really. It's a combination of literature and philosophy and um, art. Uh, and sort of just culture. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally got finished with my undergrad, I taught preschool, I set up rock concerts, I made music for theater shows, and I did all these liberal arts things and got to the end of that and um, felt like the best combination of an experience that would make me really a rich human being and the opportunity to make a living would be medicine. So mm -hmm. I got into medicine. I really liked psychiatry because I wanted to go to the roots and I'll probably get to this later on in our conversation, but I really wanted to get to the roots about why people were sick. And I thought it was in psychiatry, but as my uh, experience in medical school went on, I found myself loving procedures and surgery much more than I liked uh, psychiatry. Combination of how psychiatry is practiced and I think a passion that I have for working with my hands and the kind of the, the moment and the drama of being uh, in procedures. And so at the end of medical school, I chose family medicine, which was, I think, my best attempt to combine the human side and the sort of the procedural side of medicine. Uh, after that, I did, uh, instead of practicing, I did a Robert Wood Johnson Clinical Scholars Program out in UCLA to learn health services research. Uh, it was a great program, um, went out to UCLA and really was sort of schooled in the economics, the quality and the entire sort of uh, perspective on the health system which really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, all the while maintaining sort of a health technology focus and doing some projects <clears throat> in Skid Row uh, of LA and bringing together different providers of homeless, um, homeless services, social services and mm. services. So then when I finally got to the end of that, uh, I was the one guy in the program that didn't want to be on faculty, but they offered me a position and it was really um, quite an honor. So I spent a year on the faculty at UCLA before realizing that uh, I needed to go into industry and then got in touch with Salesforce and just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and it's been a quite a journey. Uh, and I've been at Salesforce now for 10 years. 
Nice, nice. Well, you know, Dr. Newman, I guess a couple of things that I really appreciate about your background and your focus is the the broad spectrum of of, of skills that are directly related, but also that are complementary, right? You know, it's a very uh, complicated healthcare world, but it's also a really exciting time where you, you, you know, obviously fee-for-value fee market, um, you know, hospital CEOs and providers and payers are starting to realize how much, you know, we need to really focus on patients and members in their experience, but also any needs that they have. And so there's an interesting, huge phenomenon opportunity, but with that comes a, a huge level of creativity, technology, medical expertise, most precisely, to be able to, um, to deliver care more, the most innovative way possible. So um, I guess along those lines, I'd love to hear, you're seeing so much of this in healthcare. You're seeing the full spectrum. What's one or two things that really is fascinating you today in health, um, whether it's technology related process, maybe it's payment models, maybe one or two things that really is, is capturing your attention and, and love to understand why it's all so. You know, it's uh, the, the two things that pop up instantly, the two general categories are big science and big human. Mm. You know, it, I'd be remiss not to mention the, um, the important innovations, the important discoveries, the actual science of clinical medicine and how it's advancing. It's, it's you know, it's a 10,000 or a million year, you know, depending on how you want to measure it. It's been a long time coming to the point now where you know, we should all sort of take a breath and every single day we should be incredibly grateful and incredibly just proud of our colleagues uh, and history that has gotten us to this point where we can treat so many diseases. Most recently, I think the things that excite me are things like CAR-T therapy for targeting cancer specifically toward the receptors and some of the genetics of the cancer cells mm -hmm. uh, and some of the biologics that we have treating immune, immune, um, immune disorders, uh, autoimmune disorders, and some of the other more really complicated uh, diseases that have been afflicting people for a long time. And with those two, we're making so much, uh, so much progress in actually treating disease. Uh, there's an Ebola vaccine that's looking incredibly promising. HIV is treated better and more effectively and prevented than ever before. And so just every year, there are more of these real science uh, innovations. Um, so that's important because that's going to continue on and on forever. But I think the thing that I pay the most attention to and the stuff that's personally most affecting and also connects with what we do at Salesforce is the, um, is the big human side, which mm -hmm. is increasing focus and the increasing appreciation for the importance of relating to human beings as human beings as a way of treating their, their health care. This is seen in the growing um, attention and sensitivity to social determinants of health by all parties, not just you know, payers who worry about risk stratification, but also surgeons who are worrying about post-op um, post recovery and prevention of adverse mm -hmm. events uh, who are taking that in consideration. But it's even more important when you start considering that, you know, medicine increasingly, or medicine over time, the story of medicine is the story about getting closer and closer to the root causes of things. So we don't treat trauma necessarily only as trauma. We don't treat diseases that are, you know, that riddle organ systems. We try and make people eat better. We try and make people uh, behave better have better choices in their lives and exercise and have less stress and have better relationships with each other and all that. And over time, what we've seen is medical interventions are increasingly trying to intervene uh, in those earlier moments 
and we're seeing the effects of it uh, in healthier populations, in you know some I think attempts to bridge some of the gaps of disparity uh, in healthcare and, and illness. Uh, and so that stuff gets me the most excited. And there are tons of interventions, whether it's behavioral health for you know addiction or anxiety or uh, uh, any of the kinds of obesity issues. Um, all of it is starting to, I think, really get some momentum and visibility. And so it's no longer in the shadows. It's really squarely in the center of what healthcare is addressing these days. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I love it. And, and I've never heard it kind of framed in that type of way. I'm starting to hear the term a little bit more. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when it, when it comes to, I guess, big technology and big human, um, there's so much still going on with, you know, the technology that's in hospitals, the payment models. And so some of these things are turning for the better, right? You know, you see the payer and provider worlds coming together a little bit closer infrastructure operations and technology between the two are starting to, to support a little bit more, but I guess, um, with the processes that are in place today and, you know, a big focus on big tech, big human, um, what does that shape us up for the future? Maybe you can tell me a little bit about what you see, you know, changing in this world, what still needs to change, you know, if it's legislation wise, or if it's, if it's payment model wise to really unlock some of these innovations, right? All these different vaccines and being able to, you know, alter alter diseases at their core so that we can cure people now it's just you know how do we get that accessible right <laughs> um, and distributed and to the right people so I guess said said in a more concise way tell me a little bit about your your future of health or the way that you see health shaping up to be in the future you know you said it Anthony you said it perfectly uh, it's how do you get people access to this stuff? Um, I got a newsletter from my uh, alumni magazine, uh, and it has a guy, one of my one of my uh, uh, one of my fellow grads, uh, went to Uganda to start working on the Ebola epidemic. And his quote says, "The most important tool in fighting the epidemic is trust." Mm. It's not the science because science without trust doesn't go anywhere. Right. Um, and so I think you're absolutely right. So the things that I, I I look at I look at sort of this trust and this big human side in two ways. You know, right now we're seeing gigantic problems in our society, and the problems are problems of addiction and problems of anxiety and depression, and problems of obesity, and overweight, and loneliness, and suicide, and sort of the diseases of despair, as people call them. These are not going to be treated with a pill or a surgery or an imaging study. These are treated with uh, relationships. So whether it's treating directly the causes of some major illness and morbidity, or it's treating the anxiety that indirectly prevents people from taking their medications or making a follow-up appointment. Um, my big hope is that in the future, we get better and better at treating those things. And the other side of it, and I think it's not disconnected, these aren't two separate issues, is you know everyone I know who has any interaction with the healthcare uh, uh, system, and this isn't just sort of, you know, these are people at every income level, and I'm especially struck when it's people with a lot of resources, with a lot of education, even medical or health professionals, when they encounter the health uh, industry, you know, they tend not to complain about the medicines. They tend not to complain about the procedures uh, or the studies. In fact, the science, as we were just saying earlier, is remarkable and impressive and ridiculously effective compared to every other generation of humans ever to walk the planet. So we're better than ever. And yet, Every single person that I talk to pretty much complains of how long they had to wait, 
how invisible the process was, mm. how irrational the system was, how you couldn't get data from one place to the other, how synergies that would strengthen any one or groups of players that they're relating to uh, can never be realized. Um, whether it's discounts or benefits or kinds of things working together that they can't see like physical therapy or an orthopedic surgeon, for example, they can't realize those benefits. So I think the twin things that are going to happen are the greater appreciation of the human mind and psychology as a driver of healthcare, both in terms of therapy and prevention. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, the importance of rational, fluid, modern systems to combine, you know, what's still in some ways an old fashioned legacy sort of technology that underlies much of this advanced clinical technology uh, that's going to make things a lot more fluid, a lot more reasonable, and a lot probably similar to the way that we live in our consumer world, in our transportation world, uh, mm -hmm. in our entertainment world. So I'm really hopeful and optimistic, and I think the you know the, the it's never been a better time. I love it. I love it. Um, two last questions for you. I promise. Hopefully sure. these aren't too much curveballs. But just listening to you speak, I, I figured you, you have a thesis on on these two. And so, like as you're mentioning on on the payment models um, and you know access and kind of the basics and the the flow there. Um, on the vaccine side, one thing I'm thinking about is, you know, there's the chronic side and a lot of things are re related to, gosh, if, if us as human beings can get, just control our urges with carbohydrates and sugar, um, so much yeah, and, and, and have an affinity, right. For fresh food, right. And veggies, right. So much, so much of healthcare would, would take care of itself. Right. But that's not the case because humanity gets in the way. Um, so Mike, I have a question on sugar and then I have another question on, I know you're a religion under, um, yeah, did religion. And there's a lot of what you're mentioning here on the mental side, but there's also like this emerging movement I'm seeing on like spiritual technology or spirit tech or mindfulness, right. And the convergence of mindfulness and, um, people that are more mindful and meditate more are healthier and they can be more mindful in their eating. So, do you have any thoughts or theses that you're developing, um, and if, if any of them are controversial, obviously don't say them, but, <laughs> but I guess from, from a sugar, any thesis is on sugar and like on the spiritual side of, of health that you see coming to fruition or things that we need to understand a little bit more deeper as a, as a human race. Because obviously we probably don't want to, you know, get everyone using like some sort of anti like sugar, you know, medicine or something like that. Or maybe we do. I don't know. But how does that affect the human body and our own evolution? So these are things I think about. And I figure I figure uh, we had a few minutes here to geek out about it. So. Yeah, sure. So uh, we at Salesforce, we used to have a track at Dreamforce every year, which is our gigantic user conference, where folks from UCSF, professors from UCSF used to give like a little TED Talk sort of a presentation. We did it for a number of years in a row. And in one of the earlier years that I did it, uh, maybe, I don't know, eight, seven or eight or nine years ago, uh, mm -hmm. A professor from UCSA named Bob Lustig gave a talk about sugar. Robert mm -hmm. Lustig, I think, uh, is his professional name. And um, and he gave this really intense and provocative talk about how bad sugar was and how the sugar industry was uh, almost as culpable as the tobacco industry, or at least analogous to it. And I remember listening to it and feeling like it was reactionary and a little bit too provocative and not quite in line with you know how I saw the world. And in the years since then, I've become a complete convert. Uh, and I believe that actually sugar is probably a lot more dangerous and toxic than I ever admitted and a lot of people admit it. 
and um, and that people really need to take it seriously. I wouldn't go so far. I don't know enough to know what you know the sort of the industrial right the, the the scheming of it. So I'm not at all alleging anything like that. I'm just more saying that it's a lot more of a serious um, thing to eat than we gave it credit. And I think we always thought that fat was bad and that sugar was fine. And now we realize that sugar is really what's bad and fat right. is better than we thought. And it really goes to our evolutionary roots. We grew up eating meats and fat all day and whenever we could get it and not finding very much sugar. In fact, sugar is not something very plentiful in our environment at all. And so it makes sense that we're not as well equipped to eat sugar. And uh, I think that people's efforts to decrease the amount of sort of refined sugar in their lives and eat a little more of a simple diet, uh, I think it's really in line. It makes a lot of sense. It's not right. my area of expertise, but I, you know, from what I've seen, um, I think it's really in line. Right. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, the, the, the blessing is you're starting to see this huge movement and a, a huge awareness from like information, um, a little bit of common sense, but it just, you know, more of an affinity for people to, you know, reduce the sugar and go out of their way, uh, you know, of eating it or, or in moderation, I think is really key. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely promising in the market out there. Um, and then, um, I guess, uh, yeah, on, on the spiritual side, so mindfulness meditation, um, and, and, you know, anything you see happening there from a health perspective, I guess, any, any thoughts on, you know, how and why those elements could be important as we, you know, progress, you know, into this, this brave new world of, of health? <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, you know, it's funny that you sort of like, um, that you frame this as a religion thing. If you do that, think of how beautiful this moment in history is. Right. Here we are, here we are in the year, whatever it is, almost 2020. Uh, and almost, you know, the 2000 years <laughs> we've been going on since, uh, you know, the, these millenniums change with all the religions that have come out and we all have the ability to enjoy meditation. We all have the ability to learn from it and get right. And it's not seen as devoted to a certain, you know, religious belief or theology. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense to me from the research that I've seen, from the experience that I've had. Uh, it's something that's useful and usable by anyone, anywhere. And it's not really the formal meditation. It's take a few moments to breathe. Right. Take a few moments to appreciate. And this goes to the sugar thing. Take a few moments to appreciate how complex and beautiful your mind is, how you don't even know, you don't even have access to so many of the drives and urges and memories that we have, the somatic memories that we collect every minute of every day and how they contribute to the decisions we make. Mindfulness, meditation, uh, all kinds of techniques are able to sort of teach us how complex our drives are. And if we can't, as you say, sort of force ourselves to not eat carbohydrates or force ourselves to not eat sugars at times, which can be hard, uh, at least we can begin the journey of appreciating um, how we surf our minds. And we are as much subject to them as, a, you know, the common image of the rider on top of the elephant. Uh, mm. I think meditation really helps. It helps to appreciate reality. And it helps to maybe have some influence over it in those moments that we can. Um, so I've, I've seen it and I'm a big fan and, uh, you know, think that at least at least a passing experience of it or some, some kind of, um, you know, try it out, see what it's like. Uh, the lessons might last forever, even if you don't do it every single day. Right, right. No, uh, Dr. Newman, this is great. I, it's really inspiring the way that you frame it in that way. And it's uh, great you had some thoughts on it. Um, it or deep thoughts actually. And uh, I, I'm sure 
Um, I guess my very last question is, you, you've seen so much in healthcare and along the lines of mindfulness and sugar. I'm sure you, you have your own uh, regimen or routines you do on a daily or weekly basis that keep your own engine running. You know, you have, in your role, you have to have so much dynamism in so many different disciplines uh, very rapidly. So I can imagine you, you probably um, are doing some of this in your own life. But what's something you do on a, on a daily or weekly basis to keep your own engine going? Well, I do a little yoga every day just to stay a little limber, but my daily practice is to wish that I were surfing and my weekly practice is <laughs> surf. So nice. it's, uh, can't ever get out as much as I'd like to and the way uh-huh. the weather and my family and my little kids have to all contribute uh, and work responsibilities and travel and all of that, but it's really my favorite thing in the world to do. Nice, nice. Well, I've seen some of those indoor like surfing places, and maybe like that, that's the next perk they have at Salesforce or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but maybe so, but I wouldn't discount the value, you know, of going out and yeah, you got to get out to the beach. And, and you might, you might even, you, you could even, it'd be a good discussion for our next webinar or for our next podcast to talk about, you know, which is more restorative: waves in a pool or no waves in the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, I, I love it. Yeah. No, there's just something there with the grounding element of getting out to the beach. I don't know how to surf, but you're, you're inspiring me, uh, to, to take up a surfboard and, you know, just get out there. Come on out. Happy to give you a lesson, Anthony. Awesome. I'm going to take you up on it. Seriously. Let's do it. Done. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Dr. Newman, this was great. I didn't want to take up too much time. I know how busy your week is, and this is just great to ground with you and talk about all these different things. And it's really refreshing. And I'm, so, I'm sure for our listeners, um, they may be inspired to to reach out to you and just say hi or just uh, you know share their thoughts. And I guess along those lines, from a social media perspective, if you'd like anyone to interact with you online or directly, what would be a good way to do so? Um, send me an email at jnewman at salesforce.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Twitter handle is jnewmansf, though it's uh, not as active as, as some. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Happy to awesome. talk. Always happy to get people excited about healthcare, uh, surfing, uh, healthy diets. Yeah. Podcasts. Well, I love it. I love it. Well, balance, balance and breadth and, and depth is, is, you know, what I'm taking away from this, uh, this episode. And it's very inspiring. I, I really appreciate what you're bringing to the healthcare industry and right place, right, right time, right person. So I really appreciate you and your background. Uh, Dr. Newman, love you. Have, love to have you back as you guys, you know, continue to do some profound work in healthcare. Um, and to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Again, Dr. Newman, this was great. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Thank you.